to Elevate Louisiana Engage podcast. Elevate Louisiana was founded earlier this year to empower women leaders throughout Louisiana by connecting and educating them on the challenges impacting our state with data-driven, nonpartisan solutions to make a better future for Louisiana. Hello, I'm your host, Julie Stokes. Today, we are recording our second in a four-part series on the state of higher education in Louisiana. The four video casts that we are recording are a prologue to an interactive webinar on August 28th between the members of Elevate Louisiana and our four speakers. Elevate's August 28th webinar will be a forum where our members will discuss Louisiana's higher education policies with the policy makers themselves so that our civic leaders can get more engaged in building a better future for our state. Our guest today is Martha Snyder, a Senior Director at HCM Strategies. HCM is a national group of policy advocates and strategists working toward equitable and meaningful change by bridging the gap between public policies and the people they affect. Martha Snyder is an experienced education policy specialist who works with federal and state policymakers. She provides policy expertise and strategic counsel on a wide range of areas from finance to accountability to college readiness and to affordability. Welcome, Martha. Thank you, Julie. I'm so excited about this conversation with you. Uh, I'm a data girl myself, and I love opportunities to contrast Louisiana to other states. You know, living in a nation composed of states provides each individual state the opportunity to study the results achieved by others um, with their policies. You know, we're all experiments in democracy and experiments in policy. I know that you'll have a lot of interesting information to share with us, so I'm going to turn it over to you to start our discussion. I see that you've come ready with a PowerPoint, and if we could just interact while you share that with our membership, that would be amazing. Great, absolutely. Thanks so much for having me today and for engaging in this important conversation. Um, appreciate what you are trying to do in that platform you've set up um, in Louisiana to do this. So um, I thought I would share um, focusing in on, on kind of state finance issues and putting Louisiana, some of the trends in Louisiana, um, in the perspective certainly of national trends, um, but also in terms of how um, the state's finance and funding undergirding higher ed um, advances or, or inhibits um, progress towards some important goals for the state, um, including economic um, prosperity and individual um, prosperity as well. Um, so diving in. Um, first and foremost, and this, this is a prior to COVID-19, but prior to COVID-19, even with record low unemployment, there was already underway a dramatic shift in the structure and availability of jobs uh, with growing need for education and training um, to really match a changing labor market. Um, and we know from the Great Recession that those individuals um, with education and training beyond high school, uh, particularly those uh, with the post-secondary credential and degrees are more likely to remain employed and find jobs um, during an economic recovery. So this places the state's goal, 60% um, of working age adults to hold a degree or, of, um, or certificate of value by 2030, an even more urgent, um, urgent category. 
Um, you can see here that Louisiana's attainment rate in 2018 was 47.3% uh, compared to a national average of 51.3%. Um, and similar to trends nationally, um, perhaps most concerning are the gaps that exist between different uh, demographic populations, notably white populations um, and populations of color. Um, so this certainly requires that Louisiana develop policies and particularly direct resources in ways that are targeted to achieve equitable access and success um, for all individuals. Yeah, um, could we go back to that for a second? Because, um, you know, at first when I was looking at it and I, I was thinking about it ethnically, I thought, well, we're just such a melting pot. We've got a lot more diversity, you know, but it, we're falling behind in every, every single category. Yes, um, yes, you are behind overall um, and behind behind on all um, demographic populations. And again, you know, even um, even though your white population has higher um, attainments than um, the populations of color, um, that is well below the, the national average as well. Um, and that's certainly um, access opportunity, um, without a doubt, and certainly the financing and funding system plays a role in that. Yeah, thanks. Um, so thought I would put um, kind of the higher education spending in perspective, and this is looking exclusively um, at Louisiana and the percentage of um, higher ed spending as a percentage of the overall state budget. Um, you'll see that that very catch-all um, other category that is the majority of um, spending in the state, but that includes um, things not explicitly listed here. So certainly um, um, parks and recreation and other um, types of, of activities. But for the most part, um, you will see um, on, not unlike national trends, um, the percent share of, of spending um, for higher ed and even for education overall um, has declined um, from fiscal year seven uh, to fiscal year 19. Um, and the majority of that crowding out, as we call it, crowding out particularly of higher education um, has come from an increased share and increased proportion of Medicaid expenses. Um, again, this is not atypical um, of national trends, um, but overall higher, ed higher education spending um, in Louisiana compared to the nation is below the national average and that's at 10.1%. Um, so you have dipped below um, that national average. Um, and again, the overall trends are similar, um, but the percent share um, is well below the national average. And I'm surprised when I look at um, higher ed, hovering, even though it, that's a decent amount of change, 9.5 to 8.3, when you look at 2007 to 2019, that still seems like an uh, understated amount of change. We, um, and what I'm thinking is that this may count both tuition and state spending, whereas um, we've switched a lot of the spending on education from the state to the student. That's and right. so, okay. Uh, yes, so certainly I will actually dive into that um, right now, but, but the general trend here is to your point, 9.5% um, and 8.3%, neither of those are significant amounts compared to overall, um, and particularly, particularly compared to the growing need um, for, for opportunity, post-secondary opportunity um, and attainment within, within the state, but also nationally. Um, but certainly to, to your point, Julie, um, that you just raised, 
Um, total FTE spending, so this is both student um, tuition is the orange, blue is the actual state support. Um, so total spending is actually down. Um, and most concerning of all certainly is the um, disinvestment of the state um, overall. So you're shifting more of the burden to students, even as the, the overall revenue that institutions are receiving is decreasing. Um, and certainly just to put this again in some national perspective, state investment is about just over um, 5,500, close to 6,000, um, whereas the national average is hovering um, at $8,000 um, um, overall. So a significant um, gap between national as well as just the overall spending um, that we see in Louisiana as it relates to, to higher education. Um, and again, not only um, has the, the state share um, shifted, but we're seeing um, increasing share of the burden being placed on students. Um, when you look back to fiscal year 11, um, this, the total share that students were, buy, were paying into higher education was 27%. Um, it is now at 48%. Um, and while you're not horribly off of the national average. One of the things, if you go back to that prior slide, is that the overall revenue is lower. Um, so the institutions in Louisiana are receiving less overall revenue per FTE um, than they are nationally, and 48% of that revenue is coming from the student share. Interesting. And it, it doesn't seem to like, like when I look at the names of the states to our left and right, there doesn't seem to be any sort of trend I can see you know I think you've you've got a mix of political ideologies on both sides of us yeah it's uh, you know I think one of the certainly one of the the factors is um, you know often higher education is the the balancing wheel of state budgets um, so you just have a general national disinvestment in higher education that there has been some recovery um, since the Great Recession. Certainly that's put in the balance right now, given the economic conditions. Um, so this is just an overall, you know, trend that we see nationally. And yes, you're right. The kind of share of student, student share, um, there's no kind of overall trend in terms of ideology or even geographic regionally. Um, just that students are burdening a, a larger share. Um, so the result of this is um, massive increases in tuition. Um, and just to put some, some numbers into, into perspective, we're talking 74% um, increases from 2005 in the two-year sector and 99% um, tuition increases in the four-year sector. Um, you still remain, interestingly, overall tuition is below um, national averages in both sectors uh, but one of the important aspects of this as well um, is certainly um, the overall state grant uh, the ability to kind of reduce that cost for certain student populations and that has not kept pace um, additionally and perhaps even more importantly um, is placing this in a percentage of median income at a state level um, and here again you see concerning trends um, it, it, not only the, the share of tuition or tuition as a percentage of median income increasing, um, but increasing at fairly substantial rates, um, dating back um, particularly over the last five years. If you look at that spike, it has declined a little bit in recent years, um, but not, not certainly not back to pre-recession levels. Wow. That doesn't bode well for being able to 
have the least among us climb out of the hole that they're in. That's right. And that, that's exactly, I think, you know, one of the, the important narratives here is, um, you know, cost of education in Louisiana. Um, when you go back to the prior slide and look at, you know, tuition compared to national averages, it doesn't seem um, unreasonable. That being said, putting it into um, the perspective of the population within your state, um, it, it makes it pretty unattainable for a lot of individuals and particularly for those individuals um, that most need access and support. Well, and you know, if you go back to that, that previous slide and you look at that tuition amount mm -hmm. and you think $9,614 a year, and um, that, that when you think about the dollars that we're involving here, so that's out of probably, what was that other number? Was that 21%? So that's out of a, a fairly small family income to try to find that kind of money um, is what I would think extremely challenging. Yes, it, it, it definitely makes affordability and access um, pretty limited for, for, for most of the, the population, particularly with those without means. Um, and you know, that, even this slide, right, this, this slide, um, I hesitated to include this because um, it seems like Louisiana is doing well. Um, that being said, the, the title of this slide says a lot as well. Um, this is a percent of bachelor's degree recipients with debt. Um, so this is, um, you know, 49% of your bachelor degree recipients are graduating with some level of debt. I'll get to that average number in just a moment. But the important thing here is this is implying that um, these students have access to pursue a bachelor's degree um, and that they were not um, inhibited by the price upfront or, um, you know, detracted on their way to, to pursue that. Um, more concerning, which of which there is very little data and information, are those individuals um, that started off on their post-secondary um, path um, and did not complete and end up burdened with debt. Um, and that number um, is probably rather stark in, in many states. Um, but that is a, also a data point that's very difficult to come by. Um, and even when you're talking about it, right, average, average debt of those bachelor degree recipients is about 27,000 in Louisiana. Um, again, when you look at it compared to, to, national, to the national um, averages, it seems um, reasonable, I suppose. But again, my, my point on this is you're not counting um, those students that didn't even have access because um, the affordability hurdle was too great for them. Um, so I'm just going to shift a little bit um, into, you know, and just to put some policy perspective into this. Um, one of the ways that we also often advocate um, for states to combat um, increased student costs is to offset with, um, with aid. From an equity perspective, particularly from directing uh, grant resources to those individuals that um, have the greatest financial need, we advocate that that, um, that aid be delivered in the form of need-based financial aid. Um, certainly, the, as you can see here, the majority of grant aid provided by the state um, is non-need-based. It's through your TOPS program, which is a um, very well-regarded program, um, but certainly does need to be considered in terms of um, the particular direction of those resources for, for students who have financial need um, and who, whose barriers might be um, financial rather than um, academic. Yeah, well, one of the things that always struck me, too, is that in the legislature, 
um, during the term that I was in from um, 2012 through 2020, um, people would always talk about how TOPS has grown to be out of control. And it's like, well, TOPS is out of control because we transferred the cost of education from from the state to the student. So now you forgot that you were paying the tuition. <laughs> so now the tuition's up, but you know, uh, and, and that's not even, some of that thinking, you know, doesn't even take into effect the need and non-need based, which is a big deal. That's right. Yeah, so yes, when you have a um, guarantee like, like TOPS is and you're um, increasing tuition um, or tuition costs are going up, your costs of that financial aid program are, are going to go up. And yeah, certainly we can get into the policy discussion around need versus non-need. But yep, yeah, you're right in terms of the growth of that program and what's driving it. Yeah. Um, again, just to put this in, um, you know, the, the blue bar here shows some, some increases in need-based financial aid through the GO grant um, and overall increases to your point you just made, um, right? The, that, that spike, um, if you were to map it to spikes in tuition or trends in tuition, um, it would be pretty highly correlated. Yeah. Yeah. And can we go back with the two, the 16, 17? Oh, that's because we cut tops because tops got cut because yeah. we couldn't um, quite come to grips with a budget. <laughs> uh, putting just again expenditures in, in financial aid or grant aid um, in some regional um, perspective here uh, compared to to other states. Um, in state grant investments in Louisiana, again, comprise a higher share um, of the overall investment in higher education compared to the national average. So even though your overall share of investment in higher ed is below the national average, higher majority of that or higher percentage of that is going to, um, to financial aid through TOPS again. Um, so not even going directly to, to the institutions. Um, we had the dip in 2016-17, again, because of the, the budget um, and compared to your, your regional um, states, the SREB states uh, that we use as a regional comparison, definitely has grown more rapidly. And, and in, in Louisiana, like I said, we have to be careful because when you look at state spending, um, it depends on how it's presented at the moment, but sometimes tuition is counted in that. And because fees and other self-generated revenue in some of the metrics gets counted as state spending, but not in this one, right? This is just- This is just the total state grant expenditures. Yep. Yeah. That's correct. Yeah, this is just looking at how much of the overall, your overall investment in higher ed, which is low <laughs> at the state level is going to financial aid. Yeah. Right, because we're covering tuition instead of direct payments to universities. Okay. Um, so I just want to talk a little bit about some of the policy, um, again, the policy environment in the state. Um, one of the things that we do um, at HCM, and I think, you know, the, the recent changes that um, that Commissioner um, Reed has put into place and the, the development of the master plan, highly focused on equity and access and attainment, um, has been supplemented by um, directing the funding that the state does provide to institutions. Um, through a um, fairly robust and well-designed outcomes-based funding model. Um, so we do an analysis of states on outcomes-based funding um, around um, how much that or how that funding is being directed to institutions in ways that align with state goals. 
um, and objectives. And you'll see here um, that Louisiana's funding model. Um, so the funding that is getting to institutions is being allocated in a in a in a pretty strong way. Um, of course, we would argue that more funding should be directed to institutions through this funding formula. Yeah, but you think our outcome-based model is is pretty good. Yes, yes, it, it's, um, so we do, we, again, we assess nationally um, all of the, the funding models in states. Um, you'll see formula type there, type four, that's our highest or most robust funding level that we, um, not funding level, but funding um, model that we assign. Um, so yes, Louisiana's funding model is, is strong um, in terms of its design. That's good. You know, one thing, I, and it, it might, and I'm not sure if you're going to go here, and it might be more reflective of the conversations in the past slides, but um, I'd be interested to see in higher ed spending in other states, how much pension debt, how, how much in pension debt payments is counted. Because I know, like, for instance, for every professor, for every faculty of any kind, for every administrative person that's employed in our higher education system, at least 28, 29% of their salaries being allocated to old pension debts mm -hmm. that have nothing to do with the current dollar being worked it has to do with the fact that legislatively we've kicked the can down the road for a number of years and amortized pension costs like tiny and then blowing up at the end which is where we are now um but you know one thing that we might want to follow up on in the webinar if you can get any information on that because that would show what i find that it shows like in education is that it looks like we're spending more on education than we would have like 12 years ago with inflation. But then when you break it down and you take that pension debt payment increase out, we're way behind. Yes. Yeah, and that's um, in terms of, there are some states that, that um, are following or in Louisiana's footsteps um, in terms of pension being um, a significant driver of spending or a significant portion of spending. Um, and certainly I can follow up in the in the webinar with that information, putting some of that into perspective. Um, that is that would be a concerning trend um, and certainly a misleading trend in terms of rising costs of, of higher ed um, when it is in fact a, a majority or a good proportion going to to buy down old pension um, obligations. Yeah, thanks. Um, again, just looking at kind of the need-based financial aid um, in the state, um, you, there was a tiny blue bar. Um, you did develop the, the Louisiana GO grant. Again, this is just our assessment of, of that, um, that funding. We would advocate that uh, more funding be spent on need-based financial aid, again, as an important access um, and equity policy level lever. Um, and you know, again, majority of your your spending is going to the the tops grant, um, which again has high outcomes for those students that re receive them. Um, but there are upfront criteria that can be um, prohibitive, or certainly not providing um, financial support to non traditional age students, so students that aren't coming out of high school and enrolling directly into um, post secondary opportunities, of which there are a significant number um, in Louisiana that should be considered as part of your. Um, policy conversation. Yeah, because I worry about those guys all the time, because it's one thing if you get out of high school and I mean, if you weren't able to to have tops, then that's a, you know, you've got an issue there. But when you think about the, which we, I would think have a lot of people that don't quite finish college, something gets in the way, something stops them and they don't turn their 
their eye toward achieving that degree uh, too many years later and they're not eligible for TOPS. They're trying to feed a family and $9,000 a year um, would be a, a big chunk. I mean, even if you're making $100,000 and you've right. got two kids, that's 10% of your family income. So, I mean, and most people in Louisiana make a lot less than that. Yeah, and, and that is one of the, the things, right, about a program such as TOPS, which is, um, again, it's, it's a well-regarded um, program for the students that have access to it. Um, you know, you can see, I'm not going to read off the outcomes. Um, the outcomes for students that have access to it um, are strong outcomes. Um, but there are certainly students that are left um, not receiving aid and that particularly those students that are non-traditional age, those that are not going um, directly from high school or those that are um, looking to reskill themselves, to upskill themselves that may have started um, and dropped out and are looking to return or never started a post-secondary um, pursuit once they when they first left high school. So certainly something to consider, uh, particularly in the current environment. Um, you know, with, with the impacts of, of the pandemic, the economic impacts, the, the impacts on employment, um, and certainly the shifting, um, the, the shifting economy, um, and just the very real reality that many of those jobs um, that were there prior to COVID-19 are not going to be there um, when we're through the pandemic. Um, Scary. Um, you know, I thought actually if I would maybe just spend a minute in terms of our forward-looking thinking um, on this, so that 13%, 13.3% unemployment rate is what I pulled um, for Louisiana in, um, I think that was as of uh, May 30. Um, and certainly we know if we were to break that down, um, I guess, again, demographically and income and by education level, we know disparate impacts. Um, those with limited education beyond high school and populations of color um, have disparate impacts across a whole host of outcomes, unemployment being one of them as it relates to COVID-19. Um, and we feel state investment in post-secondary education is critical to economic recovery, um, particularly coming out of, of this pandemic. Um, we, we do see some positives in the way that the governor has directed um, some of the GEAR dollars, that Federal CARE Act dollars, um, but you see still 15.3 million out of 50 million um, went to post-secondary education. Um, some of that directed at that very population we were talking about, those students um, or those individuals um, that that want to um, pursue um, some upskilling, um, short-term credentials, um, and then certainly some resources being um, provided to just um, connectivity and all of those um, broadband and um, technology issues that we know um, have, again, had disparate impacts for certain populations. Yeah, that's a big part of our issues here is just broadband access and you know, I, I thought that that was mainly a rural area, um, but I know in my own home parish, which is Jefferson, which is the, the third, well, the second largest parish in the state, our public school system had 50% of the kids without internet access. I yeah. thought, my gosh, how does that happen? Yes, it, it is. It is definitely not. Um, you would you would think. I think the default is that it is a rural um, a rural issue, but it is as much. Um, as much in, in urban or highly populated, um, you know, again, it's more economic, I think, than it is um, geography. Yeah. Um, so one of, again, just leading into to some recommendations, and certainly we can talk about this um, on the webinar, I think there's great connectivity to just the overarching goal of the work that you're doing. 
Um, but the fact that Louisiana has had um, a downward trend in its investment in post-secondary education even before um, this latest economic crisis, um, oftentimes one of the first things to get cut in a um, recession or in budgetary challenges is higher ed because of the belief that um, institutions can make that up through particularly increases in tuition. Um, so in an effort to try and stop that trend and, and try to recognize that post-secondary is an avenue, is going to be the avenue out of um, the economic crisis and particularly for specific individuals, um, we're recommending that states kind of take a step back. Um, and once they're out of the, the, the immediate crisis of pandemic and what happens with just returning to school, um, really starting to take a more strategic uh, cross-agency, cross-stakeholder look um, at the resources that can be brought to bear to provide um, post-secondary opportunities for, for individuals. You know, one of the things that we always talk about in Louisiana, and I'd love to know how common this is, but we talk about the fact that every time there's a bad budget problem, the things that get cut are higher education and healthcare. But the problem is, is that those are the only two it's not the only two. We can get to just about everything in terms of cuts, but because they make up such a large percentage of state general fund dollars that it comes off like 80% of the cuts end up there because they're the large dollars. And obviously Medicaid, those Medicaid, um, you know, vendor payments, that's a massive amount of it. But higher ed is still one of the highest numbers that we have. We're we're unable to, and I'm not saying it's a good idea to do this at all. I'm not a proponent of this, but like even our um, K through 12 education is protected against budget cuts, um, but higher ed isn't. Um, I'd love to know when we get together on the webinar, you know, how common is that? Is that something that it's just kind of the cry that's always heard here. Oh, well, you know, every time something happens, it's only higher ed and healthcare. And it's like, well, it's not only higher ed and healthcare. They just happen to make up the by far and large, you know, biggest proportion of spending there is. So it feels that way for sure. Yeah, it, I mean, I think that is, I think it's both the common cry and I, I do think there is, is something to it. I mean, the right higher ed, to your point, is not, um, it's not a mandated, spend. Um, there, it's a discretionary spend. Um, and so there is flexibility to cut it. Um, and I do believe that there's this general um, belief, and this goes to the, you know, increased shifting of the cost to students. Um, you can do that. Um, there is a secondary revenue source that exists in higher ed and quite honestly in, in healthcare in some ways um, that makes it um, seem less um, dire for the, the system overall, but when you're talking about the the goals and, you know, creating opportunities, um, it definitely has um, an impact. Um, the more you, the more you cut and the more you shift costs to, um, to students or to other revenue sources, the more limiting opportunities become. Yeah, 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 and when you're a state like us with so many people to really lift out of poverty, the most constructive way to lift people out of poverty is a good education. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and yeah, and so, but certainly I can, I can provide some um, additional perspective on that in terms of, you know, one of the, the cyclical trends oftentimes of, inv of state investment in higher ed is actually counter cyclical to the, to the demand for it. So we see 
um, increased demand for post-secondary in times of, of economic decline, um, but decreased state investment um, in it. So it's a um, kind, of, you know, it's kind of counterbalanced from what you would um, like to see, um, and it's a struggle to figure out how to um, get states to buck that trend because of the, you know, the realities that they're dealing with when it comes to revenue shortfalls and budgetary restrictions. Yeah, one of the calculations I had done when things were at their worst, um, I had done a comparison before a lot of the higher ed cuts had kind of started to happen, which would have been like 2007. Well, and I actually tried to go back pre-Katrina because anything that you do in Louisiana that compares to 2006, 7, 8 is got a big Katrina effect. Um, so if you compared 2005, which ended before the storm, and you compared that to like 2000, I think 16, or might've been 15 was the worst of our budget cuts to higher ed. You look at what a student is spending on their education and what they're getting for that tuition mm -hmm. in terms of overall dollars being spent. And the, the graph on that was just eye popping, you know, cause for an individual's investment, they were getting so much less. Right. Um, it, it was just such a such a sad statistic. It's not what we want for our state, I don't think. No, and and you know, tuition is the other thing is is tuition is also only one part of the cost that um, individuals face to pursue post-secondary opportunities. So um, certainly, it provides a sticker shock um, for all of us. But to your point that you made earlier, a lot of these individuals might be, they have to make a decision between um, full-time work and part-time work, supporting a family and um, you know, pursuing uh, post-secondary opportunities, living costs, um, all of those other factors that go into um, making the decision to enter post-secondary tuition is just one of them. And when that's skyrocketing along with everything else, um, it really makes access to those opportunities pretty limiting. Yeah, the opportunity cost, uh, you know, if you're working full time, or in a lot of cases a professional, you're working more than full time um, to have that opportunity. I mean, I can remember when I first started in accounting that I had a desire to go back and get more education because at that point you didn't have to have a master's. You pretty much have to have a master's now. And I remember thinking, this isn't, it's not a thing. It's not a thing that I can do because I can't find the time and I can't afford it inside of the dollars that I'm making as a young professional. So I kind of, you know, quit that idea. And certainly in the perspective of what we're dealing with in Louisiana, I was probably in a much better situation to handle it than most. Right, yep. Yeah, that person, opportunity cost is very real. Um, and it's yeah. very real decisions that individuals have to make. Um, so just, again, maybe just to share some additional ideas out there. Um, one of the things that we, uh, again, are trying to work towards, particularly in this particular um, crisis that states are dealing with, um, and you know, the, the real need for post-secondary opportunities. Um, one is certainly for, for states to target resources in ways that are, that are equity focused. Um, and by this, we mean, again, uh, making sure that there are um, opportunities provided to um, individuals that are um, least well-resourced. Um, so certainly populations of color, displaced workers, um, adult populations, um, those that are supporting families. Um, related to that, certainly, you know, trying to advance student-centered and workforce-aligned strategies, getting 
um, students into or individuals into pathways that lead into um, high paying, high value um, opportunities and, and um, careers. Um, we again advocate for protecting and expanding need-based financial aid. The expand part of that goes back to making sure that um, non-traditional age students, those that are not pursuing um, post-secondary directly from high school, have access to financial resources um, to cover their expenses, particularly if um, tuition is, is going up. Um, we again argue for states to um, evaluate and broaden the resources that they're considering um, as part of their post-secondary universe. So, there's a lot of workforce related, workforce training related dollars. Those should be part of the conversation. How are states leveraging those to advance towards um, needed opportunities and outcomes for the state um, and for individuals? Um, and certainly the revenue structure, revenue structure um, both that's going into post-secondary, um, but even more broadly um, as a state. And then again, building in expectations for for student success, um, and that certainly relates to the earlier aforementioned outcomes-based funding model, directing these resources, um, giving institutions more dollars, um, but also expecting um, that they're providing access and opportunity for the students that they're serving. Mm -hmm. One of the things um, I, we, we had on our last uh, video cast, we had Dr. Jim Henderson, who yeah. runs the University of Louisiana system, and uh, he was talking about the new uh, Compete LA, uh, which is about going back and, and completing your bachelor's degree for students that have been out of college for, I don't know, some amount of time. And uh, I imagine that that'll be a good thing for us to talk about in the webinar as well um, with you, you know, about any, any ideas from around the country, you know, that can be incorporated. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you know, certainly that kind of those incentives, we see a lot of good examples um, and successful examples of um, institution systems, states providing um, targeted resources to those and incentives to those that started on their post-secondary career but fell short of completion. Um, other, other things that we see is states evaluating um, their debt collection policy. So um, students that carry a debt um, with an institution or with a system. Um, oftentimes they have to pay off that debt before they can return um, to a campus or an institution. Um, we see states starting to reverse that and saying, you know what, let's get you to complete your degree. Let's waive your debt for now. And then when you have the resources to pay it back, we can, yeah. you know, um, but again, those are barriers um, to, to just students pursuing opportunities that certainly, um, you know, are things to, to consider um, relatively low cost as well, low cost, high return. Yeah. One of the things that we had, well, it was a bill that I actually carried trying to figure out how to manage the cost of tops, you know, and what do we do when so many, and I don't have the numbers anymore because this was a few years ago, but um, when recipients would get in there and then not pass, you know, and then their first year, there went all that tuition, they didn't pass, and we had no stopgap on the back end of that to try to recover those dollars. And the concern, I guess, is that kids are going to get in there, not take it seriously because they don't have out of pocket. Um, I don't know how true that is, actually, because our fees and stuff still come out of out of pocket. Um, but should we consider any sort of limits or you know where it becomes a loan or anything when a student gets in there and just doesn't take it seriously 
Uh, obviously, you'd have to have a lot of exceptions because things can happen that have nothing to do with a kid not wanting to do the work. I mean, you could lose a parent or you know any number of things could happen. But what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, you know, that that is definitely um, a, a challenge to balance and to, to get um, to get right to all of the points that that you just made. Um, but certainly we, we do see financial aid or aid programs that have um, certain benchmarks or expectations built into them um, for students to um, maintain progress towards um, a credential um, or a degree. Um, and, you know, again, making sure that they're designed in a way that is achievable. So not um, one, Indiana, for example, has a program that requires um, that students maintain or complete 30 credit hours within the first academic year. So that doesn't require full-time course load. It requires that students complete 30 credit hours um, in academic year. They see success with that. Um, we, feel it's, we feel that those are actually fairer benchmarks than having benchmarks that um, prohibit access upfront. Um, so GPA requirements and those types of things, we'd rather see um, broader access um, and then benchmarks um, that provide signals to students about maintaining their their award. Yeah, I like that. So one of the other things that that you know comes up a lot in Louisiana is that there's this either myth or truth, and I'd love to know which one is true, but that we have too many institutions. Um, people talk about that all the time, and um, any attempts we've had to try to trim it down don't really seem to politically work. Um, some of the attempts I've heard to trim it down, it's like, that's not a good idea. And then, you know, I mean, everything from, sometimes I don't believe it's true at all because a lot of times, you know, we're dealing with the biggest cost for pension debt and then debt on facilities. And a lot of those costs are still there. There's universities you can close and not even save that much money is from everything I've ever seen. So if we could find, like if, if we could ever get some information on, do we really have many more institutions than everyone else? And, uh, or is it, do we have too many governing boards? I don't know, you know, it's like, I don't tend to be one that necessarily prescribes to that and I'm not giving a political opinion on that one way or the other, but I'm curious about it either to, to really say this is a thing or to dispel the myth. Yeah, and I, I you know, certainly the, the governance discussion um, can, can become um, a political quagmire um, in terms of, and, and divert actual progress. Um, and you know what? One of the things. Um, so certainly, you know, doing that evaluation. Um, to me, I would say a better a better use of time would be um, for making sure, right, that institutions are effectively and efficiently utilizing the the um, resources. Not not just resources in terms of money, um, but the buildings. You know, are they particularly for the students that we're talking about? You know, are they providing more flexible um, access and opportunities and schedules? Um, so, are they getting more efficient use out of their their buildings and, and the resources that they have? And the other is, you know, there there could be something for some um, regional collaboration um, around programs and coordination um, and efficiencies to be found there that don't require shutting down of institutions, uh, but making sure that redundancy is is limited um you know in terms of 
the same program being offered at five institutions in the same area. Um, so there's certainly some efficiencies that I think can be pursued that would be a better conversation than, um, you know, overall governance reform or, or shutting down institutions. Um, and there's states that have done some good work on that um, in terms of, you know, trying to, to square that or balance that, um, that need for increased efficiency, certainly, um, but not um, getting caught up in a pretty difficult fight that can ultimately not lead to progress. Yeah, well, I agree. And um, I don't know if you had any more slides. Do you have any more? No, that's it. I thought I thought that was it. Well, that's about all the time we have for today. I'd like to thank you. Um, I'd like to thank our guest, Martha Snyder. Uh, we look forward to spending more time with you on August 28th. And to those of you that are out here watching, if you're interested in joining Elevate Louisiana and want to be part of the larger interactive webinar on August 28th, please contact us through social media on Facebook at, at Elevate LA. That's at E-L-L-E-V-A-T-E-L-A. -E -E or by emailing us at Elevate LA, E-L-L-E-V-A-T-E-L-A -E -E at stokesflame.com. Our website will go active on August 1st in just a few weeks. So by the time you see this, it may be even be active. Um, but in the meantime, you can contact us in those ways. And don't forget to like Elevate Louisiana on all of your social media platforms. I'm your host, Julie Stokes, and we'll see you next time.